You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Today's scripture is taken from Galatians 5, verses 1 and 13 through 26 from the Common English Bible. Christ has set us free for freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in a single statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. Two different ways of living. I say be guided by the Spirit and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the Spirit and the spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. But if you are being led by the spirit, you are under the law. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious, since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use, and casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, those that who do these kinds of things won't inherit God's kingdom. But the fruit of spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. The Word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. Gracious God, cleanse my heart, my lips, and my mind as you cleanse the lips of your prophet Isaiah with the burning coal. Let me preach your good news and not mine, and let your people hear your good news in spite of my faults. Amen. Today is Trinity Sunday, and and as I told the children, this idea of the Trinity hurts my head. Three persons in one God. No concept, I think, is more difficult. I have a good friend who's a Muslim, and he asked me once, I remember he stood right in front of me, and he said, do you really believe that Jesus Christ is God? I said, yes. And he just shook his head. And, And we use... 
quite bluntly, infantile metaphors. You know, we talk about, and you've heard them, I'm sure, how like an apple, you know, the apple and it's red on the outside and white on the inside with seeds and this three together is one thing or, or the sun gives light and heat and it's the sun and all that. And these are either infantile or actually, to let you in on a secret, almost all of them are heretical. <laughs> it's a heresy. Or we just ignore the matter altogether. Our, our best description comes from Spirit, from, from Scripture, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's probably the best they could do in this paternalistic society. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Note the absence of the feminine. There are some who would consider the Holy Spirit as, as the feminine in the nature, if you will. But essentially, all metaphors fail, and they fail. Now, I think it might be more useful, rather than trying to describe these persons, instead to look at what they do. One of our 20th century's great theologians, Hansers von Balthasar, described that. Well, quote a little from him. In the son's work, we see the involvement of himself in love. And the son never ceases to remind us that he and his father share in a common task, which itself is the revelation par excellence, that is the Godhead, is in fact a community of persons. It remains a unity no less when the distinction is made between the father who sends and the son who is sent. A unity so absolute, however, that this unity itself constitutes a third focus in the Godhead, the Spirit. This concept of focusing on what God does is what I tried to do with the children and, and with that little thing with the piano and with Barbara. And I believe it's much more useful to look at it that way. You see, the, the Trinity is not an idle thought or doctrine. It's very fundamental to who we are as Christians. It's not something to know or to believe or to mindlessly recite. It rather gives us a doctrine for living. McLaren, the book we are following this year, um, talks about the doctrine of the Trinity as telling us important things about God. How the doctrine of the Trinity and the relationships and interrelationships we have here shows us that we don't have a violent God, but a loving one. It shows us that God is not fixed, but a living, active, and creative God. It's not a God set against us, but one for us. Not a wrathful God, but a God of patience and forgiveness and love. Not an exclusive God, but an inclusive God who wants all of us to draw near to him. McLaren sets this out in chapter 45, and you can read that in some more detail. That's very useful, I think. It tells us something about God. And each one of these characteristics of not violent, not fixed, not against us, not wrathful, not exclusive, each of these characteristics underscores the loving relationship of a divine being to a divine creation. It's a living entity based on the dance of a living, loving relationship. Those of you 
You remember those slow dances in the gym, the sock hops, we called them. And sometimes in those slow dances, if you were lucky enough and you had a boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe you could just watch, you could see two people dancing slowly together and and there would be something beautiful about that. Or the close intimacy of conceiving a life speaks to this same Trinitarian action, if not more so. Now we're ready to talk about what we heard this morning, about acting in the Trinity. And this is where today's scripture comes into play. It's it's Paul's great freedom letter. Galatians is a letter about being free, being freed, being free. Christ has set us free for freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. Christ has set us free. What does this mean? It means first we're free to choose. The first thing we're able to do, the first thing we're free to do is to choose to be free. You were called to freedom, Paul says. Brothers and sisters, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but to serve each other through love. So we can be free to choose or to turn our backs. We're called to freedom, but we can ignore that call. Then, We're free to choose between these two different ways of living, between what Paul calls the selfish desires, which, if you go through that list, boils down to self-love and treating and cultivating one's own loves at the expense of others. Go through that list. Every one of them is a harm to another or to oneself. And then there's the desire for loving relationships, that alternative way of living, Paul gives us a list of of actions to describe both alternatives. But note, when he talks about actions from the selfish desires, and each one of his examples is one where, to make it happen, I need someone to use or abuse another person or myself. But when he changes to talk about the Holy Spirit, he talks about a single fruit, and he doesn't talk about action so much as he talks about an emotional response. Emotional responses that can only happen in a relationship. One fruit, many results. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If I'm by myself, I don't need my self-control. In a relationship, I need self-control. But Paul talks more about more than freedom here. Now, our common English Bible translation, which Tricia read, misses a good point here, where it translates Paul's Greek in verse 16. It says, I say, be guided by the Spirit, and you won't carry out your selfish desires. But a better translation of the Greek is, I say, walk in spirit and you won't carry out your selfish desires. That's much more intimate. Guided by you or walking with you. 
To walk is far stronger than to be guided. To walk in the Spirit has us, you and I, participating in the Trinity. The point's carried home a little bit later in verse 25. Our common English version has Paul saying, if we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. And the better translation of that Greek is much more active. If we live in Spirit, let's also be aligned with Spirit. To be in rather than living by. If I'm in Spirit, I have very little room to put myself in there. If I live by the Spirit, maybe I think through, how can I live by my wants and claim it's the Spirit's? And this cause and effect Paul teaches here in both these verses, what he's saying is we cannot sustain our choice for a good life without the help of the Spirit, without choosing to walk in Spirit and live in Spirit. And he says this elsewhere more explicitly. Remember the part of Paul where he talks about the the Spirit willing and the flesh is weak? One walks in the Spirit of God, and the fruit of that walk is the emotional strength to have divine relationships with others and with God and with creation and with ourselves. This is the walking in the way that McLaren is talking about in, in, in this chapter 41, which a, a chapter where he talks about enriching and experiencing the Spirit dwelling in us and us in the Spirit. And this is to bring Pentecost into today. Last week, Pastor Sarah went through and preached about Pentecost and the coming and the being of the Spirit and the church. Pentecost into today and into us. It's to have God manifest today in us and with us and through us. And the unique eye in a creation of love the great prayer of unity of John giving that John gives us in chapter 17 of Jesus praying on the night before he's betrayed the God in me and me in you so that they may be in us. What does this look like? This being one with and in Jesus and the father, it looks like being in the Trinity. Actually, it looks like several trinities working as one into the other. Let's start with the divine trinity, creator, incarnate, and spirit, moving in a dance of relationship that has to explode into creation. And that means us, when God began to create Genesis 1, the word, the spirit moving over the waters of creation, made flesh, as John describes in his gospel, and the Spirit coming among us in Acts. Then there's the Trinity we make. A Spirit walking with us as individuals together, acting into a community by the fruit of the Spirit. That's what Paul's talking about. Each one of us, an element of the community, and in the Spirit. Then there's that trinity that comes from these two, a community, and we call this community church. And we work with and through the Spirit in a fallen world to work into a new kingdom. This is a trinity of loving, creative action that we are a part of, that we are called to be. It's a trinity of trinities, if you will, that works as love in action. Now, how do we do this love in action? How do we keep free 
It's a matter of practice, and a practice with interior work with our spirit and exterior work to reflect the Holy Spirit. We've got to work in our hearts, and we've got to take that into a world. We'll talk about that next week. But the point here is that through the trinity of loving, creative action, each of us as individuals has the opportunity to come into the freedom of relationship, one we can choose, and choosing in that relationship how to act. A relationship with God and with each other and with the world. This is our trinity. Amen.